listening to Living La Viva Voce. My name is Adam. My name is Meg. And this week, my key word is going to be high def. High def? High definition. Presumably. 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 Anyway, as you probably already know by now, the rules of the game are fairly simple. Me and Meg get shwasted. Mm-hmm. Then one of us, this week me, presents a presentation in the style of a Viva Voce, which is a PhD oral defence. Oral defence. Oral defence. That was a bad pronunciation that I'm very drunk already. And then the other one rates it, interrogates us, and hopefully, although it's not a given, awards a degree for our hard work and endeavours. Anyway, before we begin, let's do our usual thing and find out what each other's drinking. So Meg, this week, what are you drinking? I am drinking Stone's Green Ginger Aperitif Wine. <laughs> do you... That sounds delicious. Okay, can I just say, it is the wine that you showed me on video about a month ago. Where I was like super duper jealous. And I was like, that looks so bizarre. I really want it. And then when I went to the LCBO a few weeks ago, I found it and I picked it up. What's super strange is that it is technically a wine. It's it's one of those like fortified kind of, you know, wines. And it comes in a plastic bottle. But a really hard plastic in, in such a way that like, if you're holding it, you kind of can be led to think it's glass until you, you know, flick your finger against it and it has that very, like, plasticky sound. It has, like, a kind of, like, crystalline feel to the edge of it, uh-huh. right? So you do feel like you're holding glass. That's quite interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about plastic bottles for wine. Um, I think that that's a slippery slope. I think so, too. Also, at I the LCBO, when I was picking up this alcohol... I found a bag of rosé. Like, straight up, you could hold it, and it, there was a little nozzle at the bottom, and it was just a bag of wine. And I was like, what on actually, earth? Actually, I'm already familiar with that. My grandmother drinks a lot of red wine like that. She, um, she gets a box case, which is a bag inside a cardboard box, and it has like a plunger stopper thing on the edge of it, which just allows you to dispense red wine That's into a, a glass. Uh, it was a sort of iconic feature of my childhood was going around to my grandmother's house or indeed my grandmother coming around to my house and there being at least one cardboard carton, I suppose would be the best way to describe it, of red wine. And my, my grandmother is, or was, maybe still is, I, I can't really say to a great extent, uh, an avid drinker of red wine. Anyway, let me talk about what I've been drinking. Mm-hmm. This week I have been drinking a Pinot Grigio that I found in the fridge. It's not quite as old. It's not quite as old fridge as wine. the red wine. Adam goes diving into his fridge. What will you he find really this week? You really need to go to the shops. Oh my god. Can I just say, so obviously, as has already been discussed previously in previous weeks, we don't drink a lot of alcohol in this house. I don't drink a lot myself, if I'm being honest. I drink more with you. Um... So take that as you will. 
but no, I don't drink a lot, a lot. So we don't really have a lot of alcohol available to us in the house. Anyway, so I've been fridge diving this week and I found some Pinot Grigio. Well, there it is. Shall we begin? I am excited to hear your presentation on high def. I hope I hope you don't get I hope you don't go the easy route, right? Because you are kind of a tech guy, right? So, you know, as as you may know, listeners, last week when I did Georgian, I could have easily done, you know, the Georgian um period and spoken about, you know, crazy crazy George third, but instead I was like, let me talk about the monkey instead. The curious one. Well, I would say to you that you've kind of boxed me in a little bit with your choice of words because you haven't really given me one word, you've given me two words. If you'd have given me high or you'd given me death, then we might have been able to talk. But giving me high death conjoined, unless I were allowed to split the word, but I think that's also unacceptable. I think that's unacceptable. Although I gave you one word, it's joined by a hyphen. That counts as one word. It, it does not c- count as one word when there's only one acceptable definition, and that's high definition. Anyway, let's not get into technicalities. We will define rules like the FAI de- FIA defines rules for Formula One, which is mid-season and randomly and enforced lacklusterly. Anyway, I have gone for possibly what you might think is one of the more obvious options okay. i don't know if this is what you would have had in mind when you pitched this word to me i'm sure you had certain ideas in your head of what might be the obvious choices for me but let me put my topic title to you and you can tell me whether or not you thought this was where i was going to go with that. i am excited digital versus analog high definition audio or does vinyl really sound better not what I was expecting, and now I am very, very excited. Because this is actually, I have to admit, a question that I have had before. So, we've all heard the sort of age-old claim by vinyl enthusiasts, right? And whilst I myself don't own a record player, I do think I count myself as a vinyl enthusiast. Because I do love the aesthetic of the vinyl record player. I I bought my sister a vinyl record player last year for her birthday. I've bought her records for that record player. I I myself do really love the vinyl record player. I love the, the aesthetic and all of that of the vinyl record player. But I don't actually own one myself. I probably will do one day when I have somewhere to put it and I have a use for it. Uh, I obviously listen to a lot of my stuff on YouTube Music, so I don't have a huge application for the vinyl record player right now. But but obviously for vinyl enthusiasts, one of the biggest claims is, you know, this is the sound as it was intended to be heard. Or, you know, this is the highest quality, best way to experience this sound. And this stems from a much more intrinsic question about how computers represent real-world information. The battle of digital versus analog. Now, let me begin by asking you a question. Mm -hmm. A simple question. All right. How does sound work? Uh, Through waves, right? I knew you were going to come out of that. That's the obvious answer. No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah, so sound is a wave, but... What do you mean by a wave? What, what, a wave of what? I mean, a wave, there's like, you know, frequency and there is, yeah. um, you know, if, okay, okay, 
this I know. If the that uppy downy okay, thing, what's the, the uppy downy okay, thing? If, shut up. If the peaks are really close to each other, then it's higher frequency. If the waves are farther away from each other, it's lower frequency. And the way that the waves then, what is it like bouncing off your eardrums, right? It's some sort of like bouncing off that then allows you to perceive the sound. Hmm? Okay. Well, so a simpler way to think about it is to reframe it. Why can't you hear sound in space? Because there's no air. There's no... Okay. So the way sound works, essentially, is it's a giant vibration system, right? Okay. When I speak, I am putting vibrations out into the air that vibrate and they travel through the air and eventually they hit your eardrums, right? So that's why, you know, when you hear someone speaking in another room, sound waves do pass through concrete, they do pass through wood, they do pass through any material, right? Because every material is capable of vibrating, yeah. right? But a hard material like concrete, a hard material like wood, is much less capable of vibrating because it's solid. Whereas obviously air is less capable, is more capable of vibrating, okay. right? Because it's gaseous, right? And it moves about. And that's how sound is obviously very successful at traveling. Wait, hang on. Then the I have air. a question. Why doesn't? Why can't you hear stuff in space? Because there's nothing for it to travel through. Yeah, but what about the rock? Like, what about the moon? Like, what about the planets? Yeah, but there's nothing between them. Okay, but like, what if what if it was like you and a dude, like fellow spaceman next to you? Yeah, but or for like example, the ISS or something. Like that's something pretty big. Okay, so think about Beethoven then, okay. for example, right? Beethoven was able to hear by sort of placing his hands against the piano because he was able to still feel the vibrations, yeah. right? Well, if you were on the moon, if I was to press my sort of cheek or my chin or some part of my body that naturally vibrates up against a hard surface, mm -hmm. and someone else was to place their ear up against that hard surface, then yes, they'd be able to hear me. We're obviously, for a second here, getting the risks of exposure to space. Yeah. But they would obviously be able to hear me because the sound would travel through the hard surface, right? But obviously, the sound that we sort of conventionally make travels through the air which is naturally provided by the atmosphere that is largely only present on earth right you know you don't get anywhere near the density of atmosphere on the moon or the density of atmosphere on say mars or other planets right okay well i have another question if that's okay okay i think we're getting a little bit sidetracked no, a little bit ahead. sidetracked but i think it'll help me understand like your talk okay because your question was how does sound work and i i realized that if i don't understand how sound works then i might not get the full effect all right okay. Why is it that if I talk to you in this microphone, even though we're on like other sides of the world, you can still hear it? And why I can hear you? I'm going to pause you there because that's actually going to be my next question. Okay, ex <laughs> okay, excellent. How do microphones work? Yeah, okay, well, that's a really good question. I, like, I truly don't know because from my understanding, right, it is me talking into this like sound box and then it travels. It looks like it travels through the wires and then... Somehow it works by spreading through the computer, even though my computer is not close to your computer. Okay, so I want to begin by asking you a simpler question. You've obviously seen a speaker before, yeah. right? Have you seen inside a speaker? Have you seen a speaker ripped open or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. 
Can you describe sort of the visual appearance of a speaker, the inside of a speaker? Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of an ear, right? Like, there's that kind of, like, ribbing. There's like a, there's like a round drum-like yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Is it flexible or is it rigid? Uh, I could not tell you. I did not touch one. That's fine. So, the way that sound is produced by most conventional speakers is by creating ripples in the airwaves, right? And those ripples are created using magnets, right? Okay. That essentially push against or re retract this drum, right? Mm -hmm. And as they move back and forth like this, in the sort of like back and forth motion, yeah. they essentially impact the air and create sound. Okay. Okay. The microphone is the exact opposite of that, right? The air impacts the drum. Okay. Causes the mic the micro causes the drum to move a magnet back and forth, and that induces a current in a cable. Okay. So if you're familiar with maybe high school physics, the way that we induce a current in a cable is to pass a magnet through it, mm -hmm. right? And as a magnet passes through it, the faster the magnet moves through it, the more current is induced. The slower it you know, uh, passes through it, the less current is induced, etc., etc. Sure. Right. Sort of basic sort of physics principle there, yeah. right? Is obviously you know, the rate at which you move that magnet through that 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 coil is an indicator of how much you are, how much power you're inducing into that coil, right? So the microphone is at its most basic level a reverse speaker that has sound impact it, causing it to move a magnet, which in turn gets translated into an electrical charge, right? And then we measure that electrical charge. Okay. Now, there are slightly different microphones and they use slightly different approaches as well. So there are other ways of building microphones. Um, the microphone that we're using at the moment actually doesn't work like that at all. The microphone that me and you are both using are called condenser microphones. And essentially what they are is they're two plates that are parallel to one another like this. Okay. They both contain an electrical charge, mm -hmm. and one of them is flexible whilst the other one is rigid. All right. And when they're impacted by sound, the flexible one impacts the rigid one, which induces a current into it, completing the circuit. Mm. Right? And that, again, creates that kind of sound signal. Now, the reason that there's different types of microphones and the reason that that one's a less common or a less popular type of microphone is because this one is a lot more sensitive to heat. So the ones that we have are a lot more sensitive to heat. They're a lot more sensitive to ill conditions. Okay. Not the kind of conditions in a house, right? Yeah. But they're not practical for, like, if I'm going out in cold weather, I'm going out in yeah. warm weather, stuff like so that. So for, right? like, legit uh, so, reporting, like reporting on the outside. Yeah, exactly. So that's why you see sort of dynamic mics and stuff like this, and there's sort of various different ways of building a microphone. But the kind of punchline ultimately comes back to this idea of whenever a sound happens whenever air is vibrating we want to capture an electric we want an electrical signal to happen that says sound is happening right now right and the way that's measured is through voltage and this is where it gets really interesting i think because there's two things that microphones need to do they need to be able to measure a wide range of sounds and they need to be able to measure them quickly. Okay. Okay. So, 
at its most basic level, what is sound? It's a wave, right? We've already yeah. discussed this. And it's a wave that has a frequency that goes up and down, right? And it has an amplitude, right? And the amplitude is the height of that wave, yeah. right? What is amplitude dictated by? Do you Ohms? know? Ohms? No. Nope. Uh, where did that come from? Oh. No. Give no, me no, a hit, don't give worry me a hit, about it. Loudness. Oh, loudness. Okay. Well, that's not a. Yeah. Okay. No, it's no. Huh. So, 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 how loud we're being, whether we're being very quiet, we're being very loud. You know, is essentially just an indicator of the amplitude of that wave. Sure. Right? Now, obviously, when you just study music or something, you think about stuff in like keys and stuff, right? Yeah. But ultimately, a key is just a conjunction of different loudnesses um, for an inelegant way of describing it, right? If you are, if you have a wave, right, that repeats itself 100 times a second, mm -hmm. how many times do you need to take samples from your microphone? So 100 times per second? Yes. God, like... So this wave goes up and down 100 times per second. Okay. How many times do you need to take measurements? I don't know. It's not a trick question. Like a hundred? Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, right. Okay, but not all sound has the same frequency, right? Sure, yeah, okay. So if I'm speaking at, say, and obviously human vocal range is, I think, around 8,000 hertz, 7,000 hertz. Mm -hmm. So that's about 7,000 8, repetitions per second, sure. right? I need a microphone that is essentially measuring the sound of my voice 8,000 times a second. Okay. Which sounds very impressive, but it's not really. Yeah. It's actually quite a common frequency, right? Um, but let's say I go really high pitch, I go really low pitch, right? Crude Obviously, the lower pitch. Crude. Crude. When, when I go really low pitch, my frequency decreases. When I go really high pitch, my frequency increases. Um... I need a microphone that can keep up with that, right? Okay. I need right. a woman that can keep up with me. I need a microphone need, that can need, keep up with my, my I loudness. I need a microphone that can keep up with my, with my loudness, right? Okay, fine. All of these things are kind of obvious to begin with, right? Now, every time we take a sort of snapshot of the sound in that very instance, mm -hmm. right? That very moment in time we're measuring the voltage passing through the microphone. And we do that 8,000 times per second. So we're going to measure every, every, every time, uh, every 8,000th of a second, right? We're going to measure exactly what voltage is on the microphone. We need to put that into a file somewhere. We need to put that in a file and say, this was the voltage we measured at this point. Okay. And that's our sound file. So when you see a wave... Yeah looking up and down. That is that sound file. That's a lot of samples joined together that create these really crazy peaks and troughs, yeah. right? And if you zoom right in on Audacity mm -hmm. or whatever you use to record your audio, right, you can really see these individual little s sort of snippets where the sound has gone up and down, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. But there's one other thing that really dictates the quality of sound. How much range do we have on that voltage, right? So, let's say that at my loudest, okay. my voltage goes up to 10 volts. Okay. And let's say at my quietest, it goes to 1 volt, right? Do I record my voltage to the nearest volt? 
do I record it to the nearest half volt? Do I record it to the nearest quarter volt, right? If I record it to the nearest volt, right, and I, I'm going between 1 and 10, mm-hmm. I'm only recording 10 different unique types of sound. Sure. So the, the smaller right? the increment, the kind of more, the, the higher def. The better resolution, the, better resolution. the higher depth. Okay, okay. So this is resolution, okay. right? Okay. Now, audio files, digital files, right, you have to pick a definition. You have to pick a resolution, you know, because you've only got a finite amount of space on a computer. A computer has to sort of know how much space it needs to allocate for each individual snapshot, right? So you pick an arbitrary sort of number, right? You go, well, I'm going to measure every half a voltage or every quarter of a voltage. So if I, so if I get, for example, if we go back to my one voltage scenario, right? If I get 9.7 volts on my reading, mm-hmm. I'm just going to round that to 10. Okay. Right? So it's not really the original sound. Okay, okay, the, okay, okay, yeah. It's the nearest voltage to that sound, right? I, I'm starting to understand where you're going. Right, okay. So that's digital audio recording in a nutshell. Now, I've oversimplified that a lot. I'm sure that there are plenty of audio engineers out there that are going to oh, have an absolute field yeah. day ripping apart everything Come I've just explained for there. Him. But that's the sort of fundamental principle, right? Is you have these two questions, right? Is how often do we read what's coming out of the microphone? And to what extent do we remember what is coming out of the microphone? Do we expect remember it really detailed or do we remember it really undetailed? And what I you're guess? telling me is that when it comes to digital recording, there's the possibility, a fundamental limit. Well, yeah, there's a fundamental limit, and there's the possibility, if not the perhaps likelihood, for imprecision. Um, well, there's a certainty. Okay, of sure, there's a certainty. Yeah, yeah. Because the sounds that we make with our voices, with instruments, with sounds, with impacts, whatever you're recording with audio, right? It is never exactly on the sort of voltage mark that you're recording, yeah. or if it is. It's extraordinarily rare, right? I would argue that if you were to put side by side the real value of the voltage versus the voltage recorded, the difference might be marginal by fractions of a volt, fractions of a millivolt. Mm -hmm. Bear in mind that when I'm talking about volts because I don't want to sort of get onto the actual scale, microphones actually operate at the millivolt scale, uh, typically. Um, But... For, for for ease of illustration, I've chosen Volt, right? But ultimately, this choice of resolution ultimately means that you are fundamentally limited to some extent at some point, and typically your sounds are going to be a little bit off from that. I'm going to come back to that later. But if I get this straight, because I think I see where you're going, is that, you know, vinyl is obviously, like, a, a real material, right? Like... <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, so we're going in the right direction now. So, again, to record vinyl, we have to use a microphone, right? Yeah. But the microphone ultimately is responding to every individual sound, and... At any instantaneous point at which you measure the voltage on it, 
you are getting the sound at that point precisely. There's a big if stroke but there. There's a big but. Um, there's a big but there, but I will come back to that later. We'll worry about all of that later. So if you have a vinyl press, which is essentially engraving a groove into a vinyl record as you're speaking into a microphone, because the vinyl is at the molecular level, okay. you're scratching out with a resolution of however thick the vinyl is, right? So let's say that the vinyl is a thousand molecules thick, right? Presumably, if we just pretend that you can scratch right through the vinyl, yeah. you have a thousand levels of sound that you can record, okay. right? But obviously, vinyl records are trillions of molecules thick, yeah. right? They're not they're not thousands of molecules thick. They're like, you know, they're at the atomic scale, right? They're like, like the difference in one molecule is minuscule relative to the thickness of an actual vinyl record, right? So, although actually I would argue that ultimately vinyl is in of itself digital. Okay. Because if you had, if you had a resolution on an equal scale to vinyl on your digital recording, you'd achieve the same effect as the vinyl record, right? In practical terms, it is an analog recording. And when I say an analog recording, I mean it is, it can have any number it likes, right? So where we talked about, you know, 9.7 gets rounded to 10. If it can do 9.7. 9.7 stays, stays as 9.7, right? So if you've got this really long infinite number, like, 9.12314572263 right vinyl could record that whereas digital would just go it's 9 mate yeah right um so that is the fundamental argument behind why vinyl is the better recording medium for audio right that's sort of the that's sort of the simple punchline right but Here's the thing. Am I going to get a Bob Dylan uh, track? <laughs> yeah, you get a Bob Dylan track, right. What happens if you didn't record it straight onto vinyl? As in, if you record it digitally and then you put it on the vinyl? Yeah, so obviously, if you've ever bought, for example... So I bought for my mother, actually, for, for her... For Mother's Day, I think. I bought her Justin Timberlake. Um... I bought his, um, maybe his Sexy Back album. Um, no, I really like Justin Timberlake, and Mum really likes Justin Timberlake. Okay, right? um, well, that's a, that's another so talk long. for another day. That's another talk for another That's one to have with my therapist. Um, no. Um, but obviously, Justin Timberlake recorded that sort of in the late 90s, post-NSYNC, right? Yeah. So digital was the medium. Yeah. So the recording that's on the vinyl would have first been recorded using digital means, right? So that resolution is already lost. Okay, so then what's the point, right? Like, is this why there are certain vinyl tracks or, like, certain vinyl, like, I don't know, like, examples, whatever the term is, that that are, like, significantly pricier than other ones? Yes. So, obviously, there was a period where people would record to vinyl, right? So... You know, because that was the medium of the time, mm-hmm. right? 
we now we now live in a digital age where the medium of the time is to record to an audacity file or something similar and then mix it down into an mp3 or a wav file yeah. right and that's ultimately just digital forms of audio right but there was a period when you know vinyls were recorded or, or vinyls were recorded straight from the audio being produced right so yeah there are analog you know original recordings and original impressions of vinyl recordings so to come on to my final question and the question that i set out to answer does this make vinyl better the answer is still probably not okay and here's the thing right when you say something like oh well it's the original analog readings of the sound right you're forgetting a number of other things right firstly digital methods largely the resolution they use far exceed the range of human hearing sure right so the level of definition that a human can hear to is far exceeded by the digital means by which we can record, right? So we may well be losing data there, but nothing that you would substantially be able to identify. Yeah. Now, I will stress that there are audio forms that do lose data to an extent that humans can identify it. Have you ever noticed that when you're on the phone, it always sounds a little bit worse than when you record on your actual when you record a voice note on your yeah. phone and and this is why like there are certain podcasts like the empty bowl a podcast i love and that asks for listeners subs like submissions they always ask you know ideally can you record on a mic rather than on your phone well it's not that your phone can't record that right if you record <laughs> on your phone it will record in high definition yeah. so most modern phones have pretty good speakers on right but a lot of the data standards around classic telephone calls have very fixed sample rates and very fixed resolutions on how on that range thing, right? So when I said, you know, rounding to half a volt or rounding to a quarter of a volt, right? And that's why the voices on a phone call sound a lot more colorless i guess i know that's a weird way to describe sound but they do sound a little bit more robotic right it's because microphones on phones are sampling less and they're sampling with a lower resolution because you don't need high quality yeah, to be understood exactly. well the point of speaking on the phone yeah. is can you hear the words i'm saying yeah and in order to carry thousands of phone conversations simultaneously you need to be using as little data as possible sure. right and ultimately although you don't think of it as like data in the sense of what most people that are using a carrier plan think of. You know, when I say to you, phone data, yeah. you think, oh, what well, I used to go on the internet and check Facebook and stuff like this. Ultimately, telephone calls are a form of data. You are transmitting data to a tower that is being forwarded on to another tower, which is then being forwarded on to a person that is receiving that data and vice versa, right? I mean, that's how you so, spread the 5G corona. That is how you spread the 5G coronavirus, exactly. Anyway, so digital methods, sort of, you know, most digital methods far exceed the capable range of human hearing. Obviously, as I already mentioned, there are lower rates of MP3s that exist, so it is possible to make 
a bad MP3 recording. I'm not disputing that. But the original recordings, you know, what a sound engineer will produce are still very high quality, far higher than anyone could ever claim to actually be able to identify any kind of interesting difference in, right? Anything that's noteworthy, right? What's even more interesting, though, is actually vinyls are fundamentally limited on the range of decibels they, decibels they can typically handle anyway. So a vinyl reader typically has a range of about 70 decibels. Okay. CDs and MP3s typically have a range up to 90 decibels. So CDs and MP3s fundamentally have a broader range on them too. So if we go back to my previous point where I said, well, imagine I make sounds between 1 and 10 volts, right? What if I made a sound that was 11 volts? How would we record it? Right. Yeah, would it even be able to be detected if that were the range? Well, this is it, right? So you need a range that is as encompassing as possible, right? And a lot of vinyl records were recorded with 70 decibels as their considered range, yeah. right? When actually what modern CDs go for is about 90 decibels. Uh, modern MP3s, modern CDs, modern recording methods go for around 90 to 100 decibels, right? Because that has a much higher capture range and it gives you a lot of padding outside of the range of human hearing, right? Sure. So, like, if your dog wanted to tune in. Oh, yeah, boy, right, Sparky's going to have a good time. <laughs> um, but let's now come on to the real-world applications as well. Vinyl is a physical record, sure. right? The sound is produced by the depth of the groove on that record, yes. right? So if the deeper groove, different sound to a shallower groove. Yeah. Have you ever been in a house that doesn't have dust? Yeah, so, well, this is the thing. Okay, so my ex had, like, a vinyl player, and he had this special brush, right, where you had to kind of clean it and stuff like that. And, like, obviously, over time, like, materials decay, right? That is that is the nature of, of living, and that is the essence of, of the human condition, right? Is that all things decay? Um, and, and, and so, you know, you have to take very, very good care of it. Also, your vinyl player has to be of good quality too, right? Because that also damages the um, material over time. We'll, um, we'll come on to that in a second as well. So ultimately, dust gets embedded in vinyl records, no matter how hard you try. So already, although you're making this argument that there's a lack of precision in the digital recording... One dust speck is also a lack of precision. It's just a different kind of lack of precision, right? Um, so, again, you know, vinyls are very susceptible to these kind of things. Additionally, with a vinyl record player, you have to turn the disc, right? And although you do have to turn a CD... That's different because the CD is being read using a laser, right? When you turn the vinyl record disc, the motor makes a very mild, mild hum, yeah. right? But the needle that is sat on the disc and the disc itself, the vinyl record, is vibrating, yeah. affecting the reading of that needle. Also, does not, like, the needle touching the bumps, like deteriorated over time? Excellent question. So 
vinyl records are susceptible to heat as well which can warp the record but it also makes it malleable during playback right so as you actually use a vinyl record they progressively get worse and actually this isn't something that's actually unique to vinyl record players also tapes suffer yeah, from a very sure. similar problem where as they get read they become degraded and you know after a, a certain number of uses tapes become obsolete yeah, but there's a beauty in that isn't there I think so. I'll come on to that in a second. So all of this actually goes without going into playback itself, right? So again, you need a good speaker system capable of achieving that kind of range, right? So do you remember at the start when I talked about how a speaker is essentially a drum with a magnet on it, right? The further that magnet can move, right, the better quality the audio you can achieve, the higher quality the cabling inside that that moves the magnet back and forth and moves it smaller and smaller increments, mm -hmm. the more resolution you can achieve in your sound, right? So all of these things go to measure the quality of the sound playback that you can achieve, right? So it's not even sufficient just to have a vinyl record player, but also to have speakers and a sound system that's capable of achieving that high quality level of playback. So I'm going to wrap up now. I'm going to come into my final verdict, if you will. I think vinyl has a retro charm. The visual aesthetic of watching a vinyl record turning on a turntable or the tactile feeling of handling a record and knowing that the haptic sensation of touch, uh, touching the grooves is you touching the individual sounds is undeniably beautiful, right? However, to argue that a vinyl record is how an artist intended you to hear the audio is largely flawed. While some artists may value the individual charm that comes from the fact that each vinyl record is unique and has different impurities and imperfections that cause it to play slightly differently, if you truly want to hear the sound as intended, you need to hear it live. Mm -hmm. Digital recordings, MP3s, CDs, they're the next best thing. They're the next best thing. They are the next best thing. They're better than vinyl if you want to hear exactly what the artist intended. But every method makes assumptions and it makes compromises. Besides being in the room, in the spot the artist intended for the audio to be heard from, listening to it on the equipment that they used to produce it, you're never going to hear the sound, how they heard it, and how they visualised it. And so concludes my talk with a resounding endorsement of live performance. And I think that's really fit. And also, when I move to New York, and, and you know, when you come join me, we should get a vinyl player. <laughs> I like how that's what I'm going to say at the end of your presentation of let's listen live and, you know, technically speaking, digital is, is you know, a little bit. No. I, I, I would love for us to get I, a, digital, a, vinyl, a vinyl player. I wanted to emphasize here that a vinyl player has its charms. You know, yeah, there is something fundamentally yeah. there's something fundamentally romantic about it. But no, actually that's what I wanted to dispute. A vinyl record player has no merit. It does not No, it has no merit as a medium for music playback from a purely clinical perspective. Sure. And I think that's okay. Yeah. I don't think people need to have a legitimate reason for choosing vinyl but i think we should also accept that don't 
pretend that you're someone clever who listens to vinyl because it's better, blah, blah, blah. Listen to vinyl because you want to. Listen to vinyl because that's what you want to do. Not because you're on some high horse crusade where you're like, this is the best way to listen to music and this is the way it was intended. Listen to it because that's fun. Hey, do you hear that? That's how you want to listen to it. Hey, do you hear that? I'm listening. What? Do you hear that? It's me. Nay! It's me on my horse. My, my clippity-clop high horse. <gasps> Who's that around me? It's my high horse crusade. <laughs> <laughs> No, I see where you're getting at, and and I I understand your frustrations, and I totally want a vinyl player, and because you have not only taught me more about sound, which is always just wonderful to know, because you've mentioned Beethoven, who is an excellent um, composer and and deaf composer, and uh, because I think you did an overall excellent presentation and inspired me to consider purchasing, you know, vinyl, uh, records and a player once I moved to New York, I am going to award you, um, a PhD, um, and I'm going to award you that from the University of Lethbridge in Alberta, um, in, uh, vinyl studies and, um, Kinky. yeah. <laughs> Vinyl studies and um, communications. <laughs> what the? That's all I do is communicate. That's what a podcast yeah. is. <laughs> and and so well done. I it was just such a beautiful a beautiful um, presentation. And listeners, if you're interested in a uh, vinyl uh, record of this podcast episode. <laughs> You're not going to get one. You're not going to get one. We are so, so in the nascent stages of this podcast. But maybe one day. You don't know. And and with that, I, I think um, we're going to conclude this episode, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, so this has been Living La Viva Voce. Oh, I have now been hang Adam. on. You didn't assign me my word. Do-do-do. Oh, yes. I, right? Mm-hmm. H-I. Yeah. I'm going to assign you the word Imola. What the? What the heck is an Imola? Imola is a location. Can you spell that for me? Because with your accent, I genuinely have no idea what you're saying. I-M-O-L-A. Imola. All right. Sounds good. Anyway, (laughs) you have been listening to Living La Viva Voce. I have been Adam. I've been Meg. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Living La Viva Voce. Tune in next week when Meg will be talking about Imola. Imola. And until then, we hope you have a wonderful time. Goodbye. Bye-bye.